Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Fourth message, the fourth message of our series that is titled what more? What more? Ah, oh, that's the best sound in the world. Sound of rain. What more? What more? Well, what more? We said be more good. What more? Be more light. What more? Be more sweet. And as we jump into this message, be more sweet, um, I, I truly feel it's, it's right on time. It truly is right on time. This series of messages are right on time. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that you go back to them. I'm hoping that you go back and you take notes because I promise you this. It's just like a movie. You watch a movie one time through, but you watch it the second time. Like, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch when she said that to him. I didn't catch when he did that wink with his eyes. And you catch little things that you would have never known if you would have not have seen it again. And the beautiful thing about God's word is so important to go back and revisit it. Go back and hear it again. Go back and take notes again. And then what? Compare your notes with the notes that you took today. And really grow in the word of God that way. Grow in our gathering like that. Go back and hear our series it's a series that I believe it's, it's right in time uh, for the age that we're living in today. Amen? Now, as we get into Be More Sweet, I, I was thinking about this, and I, and I started to do numbers, and I believe that my numbers are off, but they're somewhat close to this range. You know, I, it's impossible uh, for me to possibly um, figure out what the right number is, specifically because when it comes to preaching, before I give you exactly what I'm talking about when, it, when I'm talking about numbers, when it comes to preaching, there's many times where I can prepare my sermons on my computer. Sometimes I can prepare my sermons on pieces of papers. Sometimes it's in a notebook that I always, that I always have and, and write thoughts and, 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 and stuff like that in. So I have messages all over the place, whether it's in papers, in a file, or a, a notebooks all over my house, or all over a computer or in a drive that I've backed up some of them in. There's messages, so it's hard to really go back and count how many messages I've preached or, and so on. But being in ministry for about 19 years now, it's about 19 years that I've been preaching every single week, that I've had to prepare a message every single week. 19 years that, that I've had to stand before people and share the word and and uh, be prepared. Sometimes it's once a week. Sometimes it's twice a week. Um, sometimes it would be even more. But for those 19 years that I've been in ministry, I can say that I've easily, and this is lowballing it, I've easily preached over 1,200 messages. 1,200 messages. And, and in those 1,200 messages and in those 19 years, I'm sure just like you and your experience with your years and whatever you do for a living and so on, you've seen many changes, huh? We've seen many changes. Changes about yourself, changes about others, changes about the world around you. But you've seen many changes. And I've definitely seen many changes. I've seen changes in the church, uh, but I've also seen changes in the world all around us, obviously. I've seen change in the generations uh, since I was young and I was 15. And the Lord was really touching my heart even at, at 15 years old. And I remember 
getting plugged into our church and to our youth group and the young guys and our youth pastors and the fire that was in our gatherings. Uh, but, but times changed. Tito had the opportunity today during um, 930 Huddle to talk about a challenge. He challenged us and he says, I challenge you guys to dance and to clap. And you know, that was awesome that he said that because he says, since when does the clapping go out of fashion? Since when do we not dance and clap in church anymore? Tito and I come from the same church since we were young. And we used to have a guy by the name of Richie Ray that he used to play the piano. And Richie Ray is known worldwide, but he's a, he, he converted and he's a pastor. And he was playing, the, he would play the piano that, and, and Tito will remember the piano would bounce on the stage. And, and, and our youth pastor would play the guido, Pastor Leo would play the guido. And Tito was up there. And we had people, and, and the whole church, if you would look at them, everyone was dancing. Everyone was singing and dancing and clapping. And, and I, know, I, I know that that's, that's a desire for us, right? That the church would begin to dance and sing. And, and, and that's a, an aspect of change. We've seen change. We've seen change from, from, the, from the moments when we were younger. And you could probably relate to things like that. Uh, but, but, but it's very interesting. Um, the times that we're in and, and going into the series of messages. And as I, I get through this before I get into some scripture. Something that I've always heard, and, and, and you know, we're hearing it a lot today, and you hear people say this, yeah, man, the days in which we live in, they're, they're getting worse. How many of you said that or you've heard someone say, man, these days that we're living in, they're just getting worse and they're getting worse? And, and, and you know, it brings fear, and, and you think about that, and you, I've heard that I don't know how many times. I don't have enough digits to count how many times I've, I've heard that. Some people say that it's just the media and it's so much larger and accessible than ever before. And, and that's, why, that's why we hear about it so much more. Because back in the days, you know, it was just a newspaper and you heard about the news. But now it's like you get alerts every five minutes. I, I, I mean, my wake-up call is like, like, the news is like, tell me what happened, you know. And, and that's the world we live in today. We're easily just getting information. And some people might say that, no, it's not that it's worse or it's darker. It's that we have so much more information thrown at us and it's so... It's, it's, it's so much more accessible um, than ever before. But, but I would stop there and I could say that we could have said that some time back, uh, but no longer today. I, I'd have to disagree. Uh, these days are truly getting worse. And uh, we've, we've seen attacks. And specifically, what are we seeing attacks in? We're seeing attacks on God's truth uh, like never before. Like never before, God's truth. The truths that God has purposed for the people of this land to walk in. We're seeing a confrontation against the truths of Scripture, the truths of God. How many of you would agree with that? I want to go over a passage real quick. It's and a little history of what was going on in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 21, it was a very interesting time. It's focal it's focus, it's magnifying, it's, it's pointing towards Israel. It's magnifying towards Israel. And in Judges 21, Israel was at, a, uh, was at an interesting time in their history. And uh, we read a verse that describes what was happening in Israel in chapter 21 of Judges. It was around 400 years now after Israel had entered the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And before there were any kings in Israel. So, so right now there was no King Saul and there was no King David. There was no king in the land where Israel was at. 
But yet it was some 400 years since they've entered into this promised land. But yet it was a very dark time, a very dark time in Israel. Uh, the people would continue to sin. Uh, why, why am I preaching this mess, these messages to you? Why do I continue to quote Isaiah chapter 5? Because I believe we're at a place where we are reminded a lot of Israel. We, as a people, are reminded a lot of Israel. Mistakes that they've made. Decisions that they've made. And we're there too as a nation and as a people and as a church. And we got to make sure we do things right. But it was a very, very dark time in Judges 21 for Israel. The people would turn their backs on God. They would sin. And God would have to deal with His people. And what would He do? He would allow enemies to come against them. He would move his hand from them and the enemies would come against Israel. And then the people of Israel, once the enemies would attack them, they would immediately cry out to the Lord again and they would cry out for help. And, and as they would cry out for help, the Lord would come again and he would mercifully raise up a judge to deliver them. And it was, this would happen over and over again. They would sin and turn their back and then they would be attacked. And, oh God, have mercy. And the Lord says, all right, I'm going to put a leader in your camp. And then a judge would rise up and deliver them. And they would continue to rebel. They would not learn their lesson. You've been there before? Where you've continued to rebel and you just don't learn your lesson. And the Lord still shows you grace. And the Lord still shows you mercy. And the Lord still puts something in your path to show you that He's still present. He's still there. He's still listening. And He's still speaking. But He has to allow because of your decisions and because of the choice that you've made. He has to allow the circumstances and the consequences of it to play out. And when they play out, you're like, oh Lord, oh Lord, have mercy. And then He comes and He shows up again and He gives you His hand. I'm sure all of us have been there. Israel was, was there consistently. They were faithful to remain at that place, to never break through from it, to never be delivered from it, but to be bound to this place where they would trust in the Lord, then they would turn their back to sin against them, they would be attacked, and then they would come back to cry out to Him, and He would be faithful, and they would trust in Him, and it was just a repeated behavior. They were missing something in their heart, missing something in their mind. I'm, I'm going to read you a scripture to show you exactly what was going on in Israel in Judges chapter 21. And it's in verse 25. And this is what it says. Tell me if this does not make sense. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. But look what it says next. Everyone did what was right, what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I almost feel like that's common today. Everyone just, you got to do what's right. You ever spoke to someone about something so serious? And, and the advice that they give you is, you just got to do what's in your heart. That's a very dangerous counsel to give someone don't tell someone to do what's in their heart because if their heart's not right then what they do is not going to be right just do what's right just, just do what you think is right in your heart can you imagine if every single one of us starts to do what we think is right in our heart 
and we don't grab our heart and align it with his word and say, I need to allow my heart to begin to believe in what his word says and do what God says is right. So here in Judges, it says that there is no leader, but yet everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And as we wrap up this fourth sermon, as we tied it to Isaiah chapter 5, I would say that this passage in this moment of Israel's history it goes alongside with what we've been talking about now for weeks and I don't I don't believe that there, there's many you know today we we hear about the persecuted churches and we hear about China and Iran and and and, and Cuba and all these different places these this church that is is picking up their cross but yet we look amongst the world that we live in and our bubble that we live in and I'm saying how are people truly living in godly conviction today? Are there a people in our land that are living in true godly conviction? Answer that for a moment because think about what that means in our lives. People that are holding up the word of God, holding up the word of God as a source of truth, as, if, as a source of, of truth for in law, in morality, in all things that are spiritual, in all spirituality. We may confess that we believe in God, but yet be careful that we're not living in the reverence and in the worship before our God. And those are two different things. Those are things that we've taught here at Ernest time and time again. There's two things to say that you believe in God. And there's another thing to say that you live in faithfulness, in obedience to the Lord. Those are two animals, two distinct things. And it's pretty accurate to say that so many are doing what is right in their own eyes. The way people look and they speak about the Word of God, about the things of God, the way that people look and speak about church, how they attend or don't attend, the philosophy that people have. Think about, man, the conversations that are being had are about marriage. I mean, you, you look at people's ideals of marriage and work and family and relationship and ministry. So many are just doing and saying what is right in their, in their own eyes, but yet totally wrong in God's eyes. Totally off from the Word of God. Amen? Let's get into this passage one more time here with me. Isaiah chapter 5. If you can, please. Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to start off here real quick. and We're going to read verse 1 and 2. And this is the passage in which we've continued to read and read and read and read. In Isaiah 5, he says this. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. You guys remember this, hopefully, because we've been on it for four to five weeks now. My well-beloved has a vineyard, and it's on a very fruitful hill, he says. Verse 2, he dug it up, and he cleared out the stones, and he planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the midst of this vineyard, and, and I bolded this in my own notes because I want to stress this. And also, he made a wine press in it. Look at this. And he expected it to bring forth good grapes. Everyone say good grapes. Yeah. He expected it to bring good grapes. 
but it brought forth wild grapes. Wild grapes. The New Living says it like this. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. I want you to understand what's happening there. I want you to understand what's happening with Israel. I want you to understand what it is that Isaiah is saying, what the Lord is telling Isaiah to say. I've placed my people in this place, in this, in this area to what? To prosper. To be the good of the land. To be the light of the land. And to what? To produce something that is sweet. And as I've stared at them and I've watched them time after time after time, all that I've experienced is they're bearing fruit that is bitter. I, I want you to find that because, because what, 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 is, what is the Lord speaking to us? What is he speaking to me personally and to us collectively as a group and to the church as a whole? When he says, I've waited for a harvest. I waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes were bitter. You've ever, you've ever um, been asked to drink something? Maybe you've been punked. And you thought, oh, man, I'm going to try this. And when you taste it, it's something bitter. You know, it's something sour. It's something that makes you just want to spit it out. And, and here's the Lord. And he's like, everything that should have been sweet has been bitter. And I shared in the introduction to the series that we're in, What More?, that God has set us up to that, to succeed, I said, to prosper, to be blessed, and yet to be a blessing. He's there, and he's there like a vine dresser. And as he's there in the field, our God, listen, man, this is not just like a, this is not just like a superficial message. And just, let's just get through this and go home and have a good time on Sunday. He's in the field. He's in your field. He's in your life. And he's working in the field. He's toiling the ground. He's planting the seeds. He's taking out stones. He's placing a vineyard. He's lifting up a watchtower. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to what? To bring forth the harvest. He's in your field. He's in your field. He's in my field. And then he's in our field. I have a responsibility in myself. I have a responsibility with those I do life with. And then I have a responsibility with this family here as well. There are many responsibilities in our lives. Amen? And he's in all of that. He's in the field. He's in it. And he set me up there to succeed and to be a blessing. And he's there as my vine dresser. And he's waiting for sweetness to pour out from me and from all of us. He's waiting. And in this moment, he's waiting for sweetness to pour out from Israel, from his people in this moment. And instead, their growth was growth of bitterness and sourness. He's like, what happened? I gave you the resources. I gave you the people. I gave you everything you needed. And I love that. Because God is not a robotic God in which he has created us robotically to just do what he automatically desires and wants. He puts us in a field. And it's our decision. Whether bitterness is going to come out of us or, it's we or whether sweetness is going to come out of us. But don't think for once that in your field 
your God has not been faithful to give you what you need so that something sweet can come out from you. Amen? Hallelujah. And he says, what more could, could have been done? I've given you all that you need. Hey, write this down in your notes. He's given me all that I need. He's given me all that I need. But if only I had this in my life. No. He's given you all that you need already. You don't need more money. You don't need more children. You don't need a spouse. You don't need another car. You don't need another house. You don't need another job. Wherever you're at right now, if you're obedient to the Lord, I'm telling you, he's giving you all that you need so that you can make it, so that you can make it happen. He's faithful in that. He's faithful in that. Sometimes I wonder this, ready? I wonder whether he says, I've given you what you need to produce sweetness. But those other things you're looking for, I can't give it to you unless you're faithful here. And unless you can't do that here, I know very well that if I give you those things, there is no way that you're going to do it there. It's like the person that can't worship on their own, but then wants the spouse and says, if you can't worship on your own, you're not going to worship with the spouse. It's like the person that can't lead themselves, but then they want a kid. And say, wait a minute, if you can't lead yourself, you're not going to be able to lead your kid. We need to make sure that we're faithful in exactly the place that God has us. And he's given us in this field all that we need. Amen. All that we need. Be faithful. Bear fruit. And in that faithfulness, man, the Lord is going to reward The Lord is good to reward. The Lord's heart is to reward. When you study the scriptures, you see that he's a rewarding God. He's not a God that says, oh, you did good, good, no reward for you because I'm God. No, he's a rewarding God. He loves his children and he loves to reward his children. What more could have been done? I've given you all that you need. So what am I saying? That we must be careful. And careful to guard ourselves, guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our souls. And, And specifically in this message... Be careful to never substitute, never exchange sweet for bitter. Can we be transparent for a moment? How many of you have been following the Lord long enough? How many of you have been in the things of God? How many of you have been surrendered to the Lord? And yet, in your walk with the Lord, you've seen yourself go from places, from sweetness to bitterness in your walk with the Lord. We've all been there. We've all been there. And how many of you on that walk of saying, I'm walking with the Lord, but I'm filled with bitterness inside. How many of you then had to what? You recognize that it was in no one else's strength, in no one else's ability. You had to start making decisions for yourself and recognize, I'm going to start getting better. I'm going to start exchanging the bitter things for the things that are sweet. And when you started to make decisions and changes in your own life, did you start to experience sweetness begin to bear fruit again? Think about that, what that means in our responsibility. All right, let's get into this stuff. Because in Isaiah 5.20, in the same chapter in which we opened up this series, the Lord warns the listener, and he says, Woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil. You remember this. Woe to those who substitute, who exchange one for the other. Evil into good and good, now they call it evil. Who put darkness for light and then the light for the darkness. And then as we get into this message, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The substitution continues. The exchange continues where you remove the things that are sweet and you bring forth the things that are bitter and yet those bitter things you call them sweet and the sweet things you begin to call those things bitter. Be more sweet. Let's give you some little definition here. The definition of sweet is this. Sweet means not rancid or stale. Sweet is fresh and delicate and pleasant and delightful. Can I ask you a question? Are you sweet? Come on, are you really sweet? I don't care how manly you are or how tough of a woman you are. I'm just asking you if you're tender and you're sweet. Because if the man, if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is inside of you, there has to be a tenderness and a sweetness about you. I don't care how tough you are and how many things you fought in and how many guns you have. And I don't, I'm asking you, are you sweet? Are you tender? Because then the work of the Holy Spirit is not happening in you if you're not. Are you sweet? Or when you get around people, bleh, they vomit. You're bitter. You're, you hurt them. You don't give hope. You give discouragement. You immediately speak about the negative things rather than the positive things. You immediately say, oh my gosh, this doesn't look good. Rather than say, how can we make this good? You immediately complain rather than lift up. Like, like who are you amongst your group? Who are you when you look at the mirror? Who are you? Like, like are you sweet? Are you fresh and delicate and pleasant and delightful? Man, what are you? Are you stale? Rancid, are you bitter? Bitter means are you harsh and disagreeably, a disagreeable taste? Are you, are you hard to bear? Are you sour? That's what bitter is. We don't have to name names, um, whether it's a family member or whether it's a friend, but we all have someone, I'm sure, in our lives that it just takes a lot of love in your heart to hang around that person because you know that it's nothing but bitter and sour. Come on. There's no way that I'm just preaching to myself. We all have that one person in our lives. I don't know if it's a family member. I don't know if it's a friend. I don't know if it's someone here. But we all have that one person. And they're just bitter. And, and they're sour. And it's hard to bear. But you love. You're, you're different. You, you're, you're, you're delicate and you're fresh and you're compassionate and you're peaceful and you're pleasant to hang around with and you're filled with delight so you make it the best with them because you're just different. Come on, who are you? Are you sweet? Are you bitter? I believe that depending how you reach those two, it all starts with the decisions you make. All starts with the decisions you start to make today. In our culture, these days that we're in, we've called the things of God, the commandments of God, the, the teachings of Christ, as many have called them harsh and distasteful, hard to bear, and they're sour. And then sin has replaced what has, was sweet, what was sweet now has become, uh, has, re, has replaced what, what was sweet and now has become delightful, pleasant, and, and fresh, this sin. 
Wait a minute, things that were sweet now, sin has entered, and now this sin has become delightful to many, pleasant to many. They feel that it's the fresh, it's what, 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 what they need to do to, to release steam. And we must be careful how we say certain things because, because we live in a time where we may offend someone's faith or offend someone's sexuality and ideals and so on. It, it's, it has become so delicate that which sweet used to be. And as Christians, we need to be careful with these things because since when do we as Christians are delicate towards the things that oppose and attack God's word? There's a grace behind how we do it, but there is not anything that should close us off from it. If something opposes and attacks God's word or accuses God's people, what is your responsibility? Seriously, in the age that we're living in, if something opposes, something accuses, something speaks bad about your God, His Word, or the people of the Lord, like what do you do? Do you get offended? Is there something in you? Is there a God? Like like Jesus was in a temple one day and did not like what was going on in the house of God, and He acted pretty insane. He started to fold up some, you know, braid up some whip, um, some leather whips, and He started flipping over tables and screaming. And I mean, can you imagine that? There was a righteous anger of, oh, this is not what it was supposed to be. And he needed to act out. We're not always called to act like that because there was other times where he did not strike back. There were other times where he did not say a word. He used wisdom in every episode, in every moment that he was in. I'm just saying, in us, what are we doing when the things of God are attacked and opposed and the people of God are accused? What is it that we're doing? What decisions are we making? I'm praying that we're stepping up to the forefront or that we will begin to step up to the forefront, but filled with grace and yet with truth. There's a grace in a believer. The way they speak, the way it's truthful and let the truth penetrate, but our way of being is graceful. It's graceful. It's not to, to cause hate. It's not to stir the pot just for the sake of being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know the word. I'm looking for a word. I just forgot it. Controversial. Because that's what I see and that's what we're hearing. We're seeing things and Christians for the sake of being controversial. You should have not oppressed sent. You should not present because you might have spoke truth, but there was no grace. So what does that do? It separates the value of truth from, the, from that. So, so what happens? Well, this is my truth, right? But you forgot about grace. So what happens? All the truth that you just spilled has no weight. All you did was sour and it's bitter and it doesn't taste good and no one wants to be around. I have friends and I have pastors and people that I love that I watch them and I listen to them and I see what they post and I say nothing about that is about the spirit of Christ. There is truth in it but there is no grace. We're different. We're different. You can say something when you're opposed. You can say something when you're attacked but it's in the grace of Christ, the grace of his word and how you do it. And what do you do? You don't have to what? Harm anyone with your words. Let the truth of God's word do what it does. You don't convict no one. His truth convicts. Throw his truth. Throw his truth. Jesus in John chapter 1 was full of grace, it says, and truth. And truth. We need to be very careful. 
Why am I saying this? We're electing a president or a new president in a few days. Grace and truth. Do you hear me, church? I don't want anyone from Nest Church to be weird and to be inaccurate and be bitter. Nest Church, the people of God, we need to be what? Truthful and graceful, strong and firm, and, but yet loving and compassionate. How do I do that stuff? Get in his presence. Get in his word. Get the heart of Christ in you and figure out how's the right way of saying this. What's the right way of doing this? Come on. Why am I preaching this like this with such tenacity? Because we're moments and days away and I can't not have one of you go on one of those rants. Because that's not even your platform for do that. Get your energy. We spoke about that. Get your energy and go out into the world. Man, you want to, you want to, you have energy building up in you? I can't take it if one more person tells me not to vote for him. I swear I'm just going to get, you know what? Come Saturday to the park and pray with us and let that energy come out of you and pray for people that are perishing and that are dead. And you'll see how you start to become alive. All right, I don't know. I'm just, I need to get back to my notes. I'm getting carried away. Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twelve, 12, he says this, and it, it reminds me, it's one of my favorite verses. And um, the context around it is awesome, but for the sake of time, he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The forcer takes it by force. Let me keep going. Judges one twenty three says, but others you save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Because I know these are scriptures that are going to come up in people's minds after they hear everything I say. But others you save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. This is crazy, right? There's people that are, that are that close already. They're in the fire burning. Some of them, you pull them out of the fire. Put them out of the fire. I, I like that because that's intentionality. That's, that's being intentional. That's being approachable. That's being, that's being in the moment. That's being... That's being, uh, where are you at? I'm going to your house right now. What, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing Jude 1. I'm pulling them out of the fire. That's deep. That's, that's not like, oh, I'm sending a prayer your way. No, no. I'm going to your house right now, and, and, and we're pulling you out of this fire. That's, that's. He says, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So there is scripture that is telling us to go forward, to be violent not defined in the violence of this world. When you look at Matthew eleven twelve, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's the violence of heaven. It's the tenacity of heaven that is going forward. It's not that we now are going out with swords or in our common day, guns and guns blazing. We're not converting people with guns. We're not putting people on a line and saying, confess Jesus. Because then we're no, we're no different than other, than other faiths. That, that's not what that means. We don't take it by force. You accept Jesus or you're going to... No, that's not, what it's, that's not what it's saying. It is the violent that take it by force. It is, it, is, it, is, it is that fire that is in us to go forward and to fight. It, it, it's almost 
a reminder of what John the Baptist was doing. And uh, the, he was taking it by force in the wilderness. And he was baptizing and he was preaching. And, and he wasn't just home. And he wasn't just being drowned and, and numbed by the things of this world. And he wasn't just being defeated by all the things. He said, no, I'm called from the kingdom of God. And the violent take it by force. So what did he do? He went out to the wilderness and he began to preach and baptize and prepare people for the coming of the Lord. That is the violent taking it by force. He didn't stay home and he didn't just get, you know, comfortable. He, he said, no more than ever, it's my time to what? Be violent for the kingdom of God. How many of you feel that's you today? This is too sweet to let others miss out on it. If it takes me to draw them from the fires, it's too sweet. I'm going to read some scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 103 and 104 says, How sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. The psalmist is coming to that place where he says, I found sweetness and I can never remove, divide myself from it. I, I, I have to come to a place where I hate every false way of life. And then he says, if we can just give others a taste, uh, they'll, they'll see it, that it, it's, it's sweeter than honey. Let, let me go out to this world. Let me show people what life is about. We, we hate the false way of life. Because sweet is what? What do we say? We define it as sweetness is delightful and pleasant. But I love that sweetness is also delicate. It's delicate. You met someone that is very rough. It's, it's very, uh, there's no delicacy to them. And you say, oh, there's not, there's somewhere in there. What do you say to them? You have to have some sweetness in your heart. <laughs> I'm a father, so I see a lot of cartoons and, and stuff like that. And, and, and some of these stories, they're like that, you know. So you think about Belle. What was she trying to do? She was trying to bring the sweetness from the beast. There's got to be some sweetness. And he was rough and he was, uh, what was he? He was years living in a, in a mansion by himself, isolated, l- drowning in bitterness. B- drowning until this girl entered his life. And it's the same thing with us until this man enters our life. And when Christ enters our life, by no way am I saying Beauty and the Beast is any reference to any godly truth biblically. But I'm a father and I know some of these stories. But he's drawing out the bitterness from us. And he wants to give us delicate, tender, delightful, pleasant life. We are delicate to the things of the Lord. His word, his presence. But we are forceful and we are violent towards what? Towards every false way of life. The violent take it by force. Pastor, what are you calling me to be violent and forceful to? To every false way of life. I love what John says as he's getting the visions of um, the eternal kingdom in Revelation chapter 10. And in Revelation chapter 10, as John is seeing all these different visions and, and seeing all that the angel and the Lord is showing him in chapter 10 verses 8 through 11, it's very uh, uh, unique. It says that John begins to eat this little book. Let's read it. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven, in verse 8, John, uh, Revelation 10, this voice that I heard from heaven, it spoke to me, and it spoke to me again, and he said to me, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea <clears throat> and on the earth. Verse 9, So I went to the angel, and I said to him, Give me the little book. 
And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Love it. Then in verse 10, I took the little book out of the angel's hands, and I began to eat it. What a, what a vision that is. What a dream. He's eating a book. And, and as he's eating it, it says, it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. I kind of know what that's like. <laughs> In my age now, with things that's going on in my own stomach. I just want to eat this thing. It's so good. It's so sweet. And then it comes in here and it's like, oh, I'm paying for it. It's bitter. Should not have eaten that. But he's eating this and, 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 and it's sweet in his mouth and sweet as honey. But then his stomach begins to become bitter. Verse 11. And he said to me, you must now prophesy again about many people, nations, tongues, and kings. You're not done. You're not done with what the Lord is asking of you, John. Look at this passage here for a moment. Sweet in his mouth as he spoke it and as he ate it. It is truth. It is pure. It is righteous. It is sweet. But then it becomes bitter in his stomach. Why would it become bitter in his stomach? Well, because now he had what? A responsibility. He, he received something that was so sweet. Okay? And as he received something that was so sweet, it rested in him and it became bitter in his stomach. Why? It's almost like, you know, you've ever, uh, if you've been to Israel, if you've gone with us, it's like the Dead Sea. Remember the Dead Sea? What's wrong with the Dead Sea? Anyone know what's wrong with the Dead Sea? It's, it's, it's actually, um, it's shrinking. It's, they're saying that, like in 20 years, they might not even be here anymore. But scary. So go see it before it disappears. But the Dead Sea is something that's so interesting because it's like 10 times as much salt contact than our ocean. That you can't run in the Dead Sea. You can't splash any water on you. You can't put it on your lips or on your eyes. It's going to burn. You're going to go crazy. They have showers there that you could take it all off. You can only be there for 20-minute time periods because it's bad for you. But it's good for you for 20 minutes. But after that, you've got to get out. It's too much salt and the sulfur that is found there and all that. But why is all that salt accumulated there? Why is all that salt there? And there's pillars of salt. You go like that and there's just salt everywhere. There's these pillars, massive salt. Why? Does anyone know? You could, you could scream, it's good, it's family. Because there's a problem with the Dead Sea. And it preaches to us. And that is what? Whatever we're receiving, we must also have an outlet. If we just bring in and bring in and take in and the Dead Sea is connected to bodies of water that continues to pour the waters into the Dead Sea and there's salt into the Dead Sea and it accumulates in the Dead Sea but then the Dead Sea doesn't push it out anywhere else. It all stays there. So guess what happens? The Dead Sea is a cool place to visit but it's a bitter place. Nothing can become alive in there. You throw a fish in there, instantly it will die. I mean, you go open your eyes under there for a while, you'll go blind. When we were there, they said uh, two years before we got there, two kids uh, uh, did a, a competition, a truth or dare, and they got a solo cup, and I think it was like a quarter of the cup. They tr he told them, I dare you drink a quarter of the solo cup, and the kid drank it, and he died because it was too much for him. He, he, he couldn't have done that. And, and what does that mean? It was bitter. There's death there. Nothing could become alive there. You could only go for a little bit, but then you have to get out because it's not good for you. Too much of that 
is toxic and poisonous. You need to get away from it. You see what I'm trying to say? Because it was taking in all this content, but yet it wasn't releasing it. And this is what John was going through. He received goodness. He received something that was sweet, but while it stayed in his stomach, it was bitter. It was bitter to his stomach. Why would it be bitter to his stomach? Because now that which was laying there needed to come out, needed to be delivered. I'm wondering if it would have just killed him, if it would have just stayed there. It needs to be delivered, and specifically the angel said, to what? To many people, nations, tongues, and kings. Deliver it. Many people then, as he delivers it, would what? Would have to come to a place where they reject what John's sweetness was going to say. And that word in his stomach was bitter because he knew that I have to speak this. And yet people are going to what? Turn their back on it. People are going to say all kinds. I might be persecuted because of this stuff. And, and yes, he was. And it becomes bitter because there's a sweetness to it. But there's also this, this area of him that he feels this bitterness because of the resistance of so many when he shares the gospel. And I'm telling you, man, is it not painful at times? Is this ministry, is the calling of God, is the boldness of God, can it be painful? Can it be bitter when things are done against you, whether it's family or friends? And that is why more than ever, the source, the connection to the source has to be pure. Has to be right. Let's, let's keep getting into this and you'll see where I'm going. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Look what Ezekiel, totally different than John in Revelation. Ezekiel, it says this, Moreover, he said to me, the prophet, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly Fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and that was in my mouth was like honey and sweetness. And, and this is who I pray we and I will always be. One who has God's word in him sweet as honey. But it can't just stay there. It can't just stay there. It has to come out. That the word does something. Like, I love when the, when the prophet, when it says that the word of the Lord is like what? It's like fire in his bones. And he, he can't shut it up. It needs to come out of him. And I'm praying that we become like that. That, that, that we can't allow this stuff to just stay in there. It's got to come forth. The, the violent take it by force. And maybe you're here and you're like, I, I, I've received the sweetness, but I have so much bitter that it, it, it automatically resists and attacks the sweetness that God is trying to pour into me. And I'm filled with bitterness inside of me. My mind is bitter my heart is bitter. My walk is bitter. In me, out of me, in my thoughts, in my words, everything is bitterness. It consumes me. And although I know that the Lord has set me up in his vineyard, but instead I've grown bitter grapes instead of sweet grapes. I lived a life <clears throat> that has been putting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And there's something that is, we need to be reminded and reminded it's that he can turn what is bitter and he can make it sweet again. He can make all bitterness sweet again. It comes into the mouth of sweet. If you're not acting on it, if you're not being responsible in it, and if you're not doing what God's calling you to do, it becomes bitter within you. But then, man, he calls you to be responsible and he calls you to, to have hope again and he 
and it comes out of you and then as it comes out of you it becomes sweet again i've had that where the lord has given me something it becomes sweet i don't do nothing with it and then i allow things and lies and i know what god's called me to i know what his word says and it becomes bitter in me and when i allow the lord to do his work in me it comes out it becomes sweet again and it's refreshing and it's hopeful and it's causing me to say good lord let that never cease from happening within your servant as i get close to ending i want to share a story and it's found in Exodus. And it's just to show you that God is able to do this. Uh, hopefully next week, if not the week after, I'm going to talk about the demon-possessed man that was living in the grave. And how that man's life was one of bitter to sweet. He went from cutting himself. He went from living in the graveyard. He went from breaking chains and everyone was scared to get around him to being completely healed by Jesus and sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ, clothed, not naked anymore, but clothed and righteous and willing to serve the Lord. What happened in that man's life, there's story after story after story where bitter lives become sweet instantly before the presence of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 15, let's read this story. Verse 22. It says, Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. Popular story, you've probably read this story. And they moved into the desert. <clears throat> and they traveled in this desert. Notice the word desert. Ever felt like you were in a desert? They traveled in this desert for three days. Think about this for a moment. And with three days, they found no water in it. You're at the point of death now. When you go so many days without having water in you. Food, you could go longer without eating food. The water you need to live. So now they're desperate because they're going to die. They're desperate because they're in a desert that their leader Moses took them into. After promising them there was a promised land. But for three days they can't find any water. Ever been that desperate? Verse 23 says, When they came to a place called Morah, which there was an oasis, they probably were like, Whoa, Water! And they ran to the water, kind of like when we ran to the Dead Sea. Water! And you go to the Dead Sea, and the moment that you just jump in it, you know something's off. That one, one little dot just goes, and it hits your lip. It's like fire on your lips. It hits your eye, and your eye, I'm blind. And, and they run to this water, and the water is too bitter to drink, it says in verse 23. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. And when the people complained, look at this, they turned against Moses, the leader that God gave them. And, and if you study the scripture, turning against Moses was them also turning against God. I started to think about that, and I said this. See, the people complained, and they turned. And I started to say, you know what? Bitter people, bitter people. Bitter people, they just bitter people. They have a tendency that if you don't watch yourself, you too are going to listen to the bitterness, the fruit of their bitterness, and you're going to start becoming bitter. Bitter people just bitter. Come on. Come on, Eli. Come on. Come on. Come with me. Let's go tell Rock that he really is such a, you know, whatever we want to say he is. Just because we're being filmed and this stuff could get out of context. And bitter people, bitter people, and then I need a tribe now to get around me because now we're going to come against you, man. And bitter people, bitter people. 
They complained against Moses, their leader, the man that took them out of Egypt. What are you going to drink, they demanded. And Moses cried out to the Lord. I love that. I don't know. It's not in my strength. The Lord called us here. <laughs> I'm just being led by him. You, you're being led by me as I'm being led by him. So Moses cries out to the Lord for help. And the Lord shows him a piece of wood. I like that, a piece of wood. Everyone say wood. I, I, I like to say he shows him what is representative of the cross. Why do I know that? Because he grabs the wood and he throws it into the water, into this water which means bitter, into this water which you can't even taste it. And as he throws the wood into the water, it says he made the water good to drink. I love that when the wood, when the cross and the message of his cross, death, burial, and resurrection becomes alive in these waters, the waters that were polluted and bitter now because of the cross and the message of the one who died on the cross now becomes good to drink from again. And it was there he, that the Lord set before them the following decree and the standard to the faithfulness. And he said to them in verse 26, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all of his decrees, I'm going to say this, sweetness. Then I will make you, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I sent to the Egyptian bitterness. That if you do what I'm asking you to do, and if you do what is right in my sight, if you obey what I'm asking you, if you keep my word, man, I'm going to give you sweetness. But if not, what? You're going to receive bitterness. And then he says, well, for I am the one who heals you. Verse 27, after leaving Morah, the Israelites traveled on the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs. See the blessing? Of palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. And they made that their, their residence there for a little while. And there was a blessing that came at that moment. If you just do this right, there's going to be a blessing. I'll show you what the next step is. And I started to think about a preacher, Woodrow Crow. He said this one day, and I wrote this down. When the root is bitterness, imagine what the fruit will be. They were bitter, 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 and what it did was it grew into the camp, and then what? They wanted to turn their back against Moses. How dare they? The one who was there for them and led them, the one that cried with them, the one that helped them lead their family, the one that spoke the word of God to them, the one that was there, tears, and giving their time, lost sleep because of them, their leader, their pastor that was there. How dare they come to a place of their life to say, I'm just going to turn my back now on Moses, the one that God used as an instrument in my life. They were filled with bitterness. And if you notice, bitterness spreads. I've never seen one person leave someone that has led them by themselves. It's, they always like to spread the bitterness. I got to take someone with me because I too am bitter. Bitterness spreads. Be careful, it spreads. It's dangerous. And imagine the fruit of it. What am I saying? Be more sweet. Ephesians tells us in chapter 4, verse 30 through 32, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let it work in you, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But look what he says, Let all bitterness, let all bitterness, let all bitterness, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. You know who he's talking to here, guys? I'm going to be very honest with you. He's not talking to worldly folk. He's not talking to secular folk. He's not talking to the heathen. He's talking to the church. And he's telling Christians, be kind to one another. Be what? 
tender-hearted. What is that? Sweetness. Forgive one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Be sweet, be sweet, be sweet. Why? The land needs more of it. Everyone's mad at each other. Everyone's coming against each other. Everyone is different with their stance and their beliefs. But we operate under an anointing, under a kingdom that is way beyond the kingdoms and the powers and the rulers of this earth. We are the sweetness of heaven in the bitterness of earth. And we need each other. We need the sweetness of God. I'll see you Saturday, man. Sweet, sweethearts, sweetness, I'll see you Saturday at 9 a.m. to sweeten up the land. Because you know in those lines there's people bickering. Because you know in those lines there's people with their, with their blue and there's people with their red and there's people in the in-betweens and whatever color that is. And then we're going to go and we're going to be like, we're just here for the kingdom. We're not asking you to vote for anyone we're just going to pray with you. We're just here for the kingdom. We operate different. We live different. We speak different. We move different. We're more sweet. We're not bitter. We're not, ah, oh, I can't be around that person. It's just distasteful. It's not good. Never produces anything good. Maybe you're the one that you recognize. You know what? I've noticed I've pushed more people away than I've brought people in. And you tend to blame others of why they're being pushed away. You need to pause and recognize maybe the reason why people are not circling around me anymore. And I don't have a following around me anymore. It's not because they're all a bunch of whatever you have been calling them. But maybe it's because, man, I just got to become more sweet. Maybe I just got to look at myself. Maybe I got to deal with things. All right. So I was reading an article uh, by Aaron Davis, and he wrote some things, and I want to share it with you. And he wrote some, some of these things down. He says, if we don't deal with bitterness, that bitterness will progress toward extreme anger, and that's wrath. If we don't deal with the anger, we'll start to clamor, demand what we want. You know what I'm saying? We start to scream inside, and it becomes about us. And then he says, if that doesn't work, We'll start to talk bad about the other object of our bitterness in the hopes of recruiting others to agree with and justify our feelings. That's called slander. You know when you have something against someone, but you know who that person is to call? And together, you both start to say, you know what, you know what I was thinking about him? You know what I was thinking about her? They did this, they did that, she did that, he did this, they did this, da, da, da. and then he, oh yeah, yeah, me too, I'm going to add to that, he did that, he did that. And, and what are you doing? No, you're not just doing fellowship, you're slandering. You're slandering. What you should have done, you should have called that person out and said, hey, I was thinking this, tell me if I'm off. All right, let's pray together, I love you, brother. And just not even involve the company. So he says, he says, Number one, if we don't deal with bitterness, it becomes anger and wrath within us. And then if we don't deal with that, we begin to scream inside, the clamor, demanding what we want. And then if that doesn't work, we start to talk bad about the other object of our bitterness in the hopes of recruiting the others to agree with us and justify our feelings. Slander. And if then that goes unchecked, the next point is we eventually have a desire to cause harm to the person that we're bitter toward. We walk away from them. We're no longer their friends. We no longer do life with them. Some people go to a point where they kill someone. <laughs> Cause harm on them. I mean, you see it on the news. You're like, whoa, how does, how did the husband do that to the family? Like, just, should have just, I don't know, move out. You didn't have to do all of that crazy stuff. Because it got that bitter inside. Sometimes, you know what I'm talking about. 
All along the way, people are hurt. Relationships are derailed. The joy is stolen. Growth of the fruit of the Spirit is stunned, stunted. It's not growing. So I end with these, I don't know, like four things or whatnot. How do I spot bitter roots in my heart? Number one, am I replaying the tapes? Am I replaying tapes? Do you find yourself constantly replaying the tapes of a conversation with someone when you interact with them? Do you spend days rehashing every word or, or revisiting their body language? Are you replaying the tapes constantly in your life? Listen to what I'm telling you. Bitterness, bitterness flourishes in the soil of justification. It, it is possible that when you fixate on your interactions with a specific individual, it's a, he says, you're looking for justification for the anger or frustration you're feeling in a relationship. You'll learn that if you find yourself replaying the tapes often, you should see it as a red flag that something is off in your own heart. Something's off. Are you replaying the tapes? Number two, is your mouth out of control? Come on, be more sweet. Is your mouth out of control? Romans 3, 14, it says, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. There's a connection between the junk that comes out of your mouth and the bitterness that tends to take root in your hearts. Do you find yourself losing your cool often? Come on. Are you critical? Are you snappy? Are you rude? Do you find you lash out, maybe even cuss more easily, following your interactions with someone who's hurt you? Maybe the sins you're committing with your mouth are simply an extension of the bitterness that you've allowed to grow in your heart. If you're trying to deal with the way you speak and gaining no ground, it's possible that you need to dig deeper and yank out the root of the problem. There's probably bitterness inside. Come on, question number two, is your mouth out of control? Am I speaking to anyone? Number three, I'll give you this, am I sick? Paul, you know, he, he has an amazing encounter with Simon the sorcerer. I don't know if you've ever read that in Acts chapter 8. And what does the sorcerer say? I want that, what you have. I want the Holy Spirit. I want to cast out demons. <laughs> and Paul's like, no, nah, this stuff is not to give away like that. And what does Paul, speaking to Simon the sorcerer, what does he say? This man who wanted the same power of the Holy Spirit that Paul was functioning in, Paul says this in Acts 8.23. I wish I could read the whole story because it's an amazing, I preached it here before. But in Acts 8.23, he says, For I see that you are poisoned. Look what he tells him. For I see, Simon, that you are poisoned by bitterness and you're bound by sin. You're bound by iniquity. You can't have what I have. You're filled with bitterness. He writes this, and I'm going to share this. He says, Scientists have concluded that bitterness if left unchecked, interferes with the body's hormonal and immune systems. Bitter people tend to have higher blood pressure and heart rate are more likely to die of heart disease and other illnesses. But I read to you what Paul writes, and of course, the Apostle Paul, he didn't have access to all of the scientific data that we may have today when he wrote the scriptures, the New Testament. But we find that he, 
connects the dots between bitterness and our own lives when in Acts 8.23 he describes to Simon the sorcerer that he was poisoned by bitterness. He calls it the gall of bitterness, the poisonness of bitterness. It's a bile, it's a bitter substance that can literally make us sick. Do you know that you could be so bitter that your body begins to get sick? You give bitterness so much power that your mind gets sick, your stomach gets sick, your heart gets sick because you're bitter within. All right, I close with this. Number four, I don't know what you want to call it, is my clan bitter? Is my crew bitter? Is my community bitter? Hebrews 12, 15 says, Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. Did you see that? The bitter root that is spoken here in Hebrews 12 is actually first mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 29. When the author of Hebrews says, Be sh Make sure that no root of bitterness springs up. Deuteronomy chapter 29, 18 says it this way. Be sure there is no man or woman or clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God. Go and, wor and, that go and worship the gods of all those nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Amen. Like all weeds, bitterness has a way of spreading. My backyard right now weeds are spreading and if I don't stop that my backyard is not going to be a it's almost there already it's not going to be a pleasant place to, to walk in weeds are just spreading and bitterness is the same way if bitterness were to fill a body of people no one's going to want to walk in there it describes progression possible progression a, a man think about a man who is bitter guess what that man does he makes his wife bitter and then the children become infected by bitterness. And then the bitterness spreads and soon the whole tribe, the whole family becomes infected. You've ever been around a bitter family? The child doesn't like the mom, the mom doesn't like the child, the child doesn't like the brother, the sibling, the other sibling, the hates the other sibling, the other sibling, and then, then, then the grandparents, and everyone in the family is at war. There's bitterness all around because you didn't deal with it. Everyone has a problem with every single person and every little thing is an eggshell problem. Listen, you're the same clan. But there's bitterness. And it's spread. And the whole tribe is infected. Are you with me? We're called to be more sweet. So I ask these questions. If you're married, if you're watching, if you're here, is your marriage marked by bitterness? Are your children bitter? Does your group of friends tend to sit around and gripe around you because they find it comfortable around your bitterness to complain as well? Are the people that you fill yourself around with in church or outside, are they filled with harsh and angry people? Is your community prone to placing blame rather than saying, what is God doing in me? Me and Mio had a great conversation on Friday about constant search within that most things that are happening God is trying to teach me and show me something about myself that's the right heart to have not to easily blame everyone else is it possible that your own bitterness has had a ripple effect and that the poisonous root has burrowed past your own heart and into the hearts of people that you love how many of you are feeling the call say no I need to be more sweet 
and I need the sweetness of God to become alive in me, in my family, in my children, in the community, in your, in, in your workplace is a toxic that person that sits next to you across the way from you, maybe some of you haven't gone back to work yet, and you're happy because you haven't seen that person again. But you're going to have to go back. Is that relationship toxic? Is it bitter? How can you serve them? How can you love them? How can you lift them up in your sweetness? Amen? Come on. Be more sweet. You have a word in you. Don't let it get bitter. Let it come out of your mouth as sweetness. Be a light to this world be good to this world and be the sweetness to this world you are living for such a time for such a time as this so what do i what do we, what, what do we want your post to look like we want your post to be graceful and truthful we want you to show sweetness when you go out and you disagree we want the sweetness of heaven to come out of you may honey fill your lips amen come on what more what more could i have done for my church for my beloved for you nest I've given you everything that you need so that you could be more sweet. Can you join me in prayer? Stand up with me if you can. If Tito could just sing whatever he feels in his heart over us real quick. And as he sings over us, this is what I want to do. We're going to close off in prayer. But if you feel, if it's one person, then amen, we're going to come alongside you and pray. But if you feel that you are consumed with bitterness, we want to just lift you up as your family today. Can you just run up here? Can you, can you come, maybe get on your knees and say, I, I don't want to be consumed by bitterness anymore. I want to be healed from bitterness. Maybe, maybe you're watching online. Can you do something that once we pray and close off, if you're there and you're watching online, I want you to stretch out your hands to your screen as if you're here. Maybe get on your knees if you're online and say, I come up to the altar. And I say, Lord, remove all forms of bitterness from my heart. So I'll give you a moment as Tito just quickly sings over us. If you know that you're being consumed by bitterness and you just need the sweetness of heaven, the sweetness of God to fill you, come up, we'll pray for you and believe that that sweetness, that tenderness, delicateness will come out from you. The altar's open. Come on, y'all, get lost and pray and seek the Lord for a few minutes here.